everybody. Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. And today's guest really needs no introduction. He's the first guy through the brick wall. He made it easier for everybody else to do what he's doing in their own way, including myself. He's a major inspiration and a source of opportunity for me, Kelly Sturett, owner and founder of Mobility Watt. Kelly Sturett was putting out videos every day when I was still in school learning how to do the things that I'm currently doing today. He was the first guy out there creating digital content that people were able to digest and learn to help themselves. Every human being should be able to provide basic maintenance on themselves. That's the principle that he ran with and his company Mobility Watt has spread, I imagine, to all six or seven continents. I said six because only six are really inhabited and to thousands and thousands, if not millions of people. His book, Supple Leopard, is an international bestseller. He, guys accomplished. Let's just leave it that way. Um, He and I have very, very, very different approaches to many of the same problems that people face. And I thought it'd be interesting to have him on the show to talk to him about how he's going about solving some of these things. Kelly's the kind of guy who you turn the wind a little bit and he can go. So I wanted to allow him the space and the opportunity to do that. This is kind of like a masterclass in Kelly Sturette, the way he sees the world, the way that he sees coaching, the way he sees movement, the way he sees application of interventional habits. I think you're going to enjoy it, especially if you're already a fan of Kelly. So remember, when you do, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening, five-star rating would be great. A review with a comment would be even better. What would be outstanding is if you copy and paste the link into a text message to your friends who need to hear this. We want to grow. We need your help. If the information from this podcast is valuable, make sure someone who needs the value gets it. Here we go. Kelly Starrett. So Kelly Starrett, welcome to the Active Life Podcast, man. Absolutely. My super major pleasure. And anyone who comes via Danny, you know, Matei, come mm-hmm. on. I mean, you like you're vetted. <laughs> you know, he's a he's a smart dude. I, I, I only knew of him because I know he had the I don't know if he's the doc and the jock podcast. And then he was doing uh, your seminars, the mobility wad seminars. So I knew who he was. And then I started looking into what he was doing, teaching physical therapists how to run a business and how to how to communicate and how to make money and how to do a good job for their clients. And I'm like, this guy's legit. And I had him on the show. He was awesome. Well, I'll tell you, um, Danny is, uh, you know, I have a few skills only. So, I mean, you talk to my wife. She's like, yeah, he's only good at a couple of things. Pattern recognition, I am so good at. And uh, really, I can see I can see the kind of key and salient pieces of large data sets. I, I can glean what the root pieces are, root principles are very quickly. But in that pattern recognition, man, I can spot talent. And uh, when I first met Danny, I was like, holy moly, this kid is so smart and talented. So I sucked him into my evil little world only because, you know, he makes me look good. So, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, but, you know, as a larger piece, there are so many, you know, we, we've, we've recently had... Um, the death of a couple monsters in our community. One is Charles Pollock can just pass mm-hmm. and also Leon Chaitow pass. And what I'll say about both of those people is that they are both extraordinary. And we're now of the second generation of strength and conditioning coaches and providers who are, um, you know, uh, working on, Hey Alex, we're going to keep that shut baby. And uh, <laughs> what we're working on is trying to, uh, take on that next mantle. And we're seeing that there are, there's not a dearth of talent out there. 
the problem is cutting through the bullshit noise and the craziness around that. That's going to be a little bit more difficult. Well, so, so it's, it's so interesting to me that the first thing that you do is bring up kind of the giants whose shoulders you were able to stand on and who, who the all of us are standing on if we recognize that that's the truth. Um, because like I told you before we started the show – you were one of my first and most prevalent influences in getting my own business started. You know, I actually, I, I did another episode that'll air right before this one with uh, E.C. Sinkowski. I'm not sure if you know who she is or not. Oh yeah, I've known E.C. for a decade. Okay, so I'm at my level one seminar in 2011 and I walk up to E.C. and I'm like, hey, I'm a chiropractor. And by the way, in my own head, a very entitled chiropractor who should be able to do whatever <laughs> I want. And I'm like, who's helping these coaches at these level ones to assess movement and make sure that people have the right flexibility and mobility and stuff like that? And I knew who you were. So I wasn't, I was, you know, I was playing the, hey, who's doing it? And she's like, oh, Kelly Starrett does it. I said, cool. How do I, how do I get in on that? She's like, I don't know. Do something that's valuable. <laughs> maybe, maybe people will find you. And that was, that was phenomenal advice. And you were and are still doing a great job with it. So I appreciate you. Well, that's very kind. And, you know, um, I think that model is really salient still because one of the things that it's easy to get confused by is trying to get followers, trying to sort of put the cart before the horse very much. And what we've got to do is, you know, we get a lot of young coaches talk about how we are, you know, how do I begin? And I'm like, well, begin by making real change in your community. Begin by obsessively serving the people that you see every day and that will snowball. You cannot get out of that because talent and service is the first model. You know, we, we, if you start out to, Alex, can you turn that down a little bit, baby girl? Hey, one second. Diane Fu's daughter is right here. Hey, Alex girl, Alex Jean, Alex Jean. Got to turn it down. I'm on a podcast, baby. Thank you. (laughs) And so the idea here is um, how can we begin to wrap our heads around having something to say? And the first thing to do is be, be of use. And I really, I appreciate that. Be of service. You know, I'm like, Hey, look, what communities are you deep in already? I'm your triathlete. Well, go serve your triathlon friends. I guarantee you there'll be so many opportunities there that you'll have too much business and you'll have to turn that away and you'll have to figure out how to scale from there. If you set out and say, I'm going to have a big, shiny business. And one of the things that's right now is um, we were just, we, my wife for my birthday took me to go see Jay-Z and, um, and Beyonce. And one <laughs> of the things that we, uh, we had just listened to this Jay-Z interview with Oprah and, and Oprah says, well, how do you define excellence? And he's like performing at a high level for a long time. And he said, look, a lot of people get hot. And he's like, don't confuse hot for excellence and that people get really popular and they pop up and run into their stuff all the time and people get hot for a year or two. But he's like, that's not the same thing as excellence. And I think if you're dedicated to not trying to be hot and not trying to take down the giants, like anyone who's serious in this world and trying to serve will never denigrate someone else's program. They will talk about their own program. Mm-hmm. Here's what we do well. Here's why I think. And like, you'll never hear me trash anyone else. You'll never hear me talk shit about Great Cook. You'll never hear me. You know, I, I, I'm not lost in the world. I pay attention to what people are doing. I see how they do it. And I really try to evaluate their thinking because, you know, people are, are clever enough to be trying to work through problems. And the internet really gives you this insight into, you know, how people are thinking sometimes. Sometimes you get a snapshot of it, you can't see the whole thing. 
But, you know, people are quick to get hot. And the easiest thing to do is to take a swing at one of the masters, you know. And, and I, I understand that because you think you know a little bit more, you have a little bit more experience. But, you know, um, you know, the FMS is from 1996. And so, you know, what, what phone were you using in 1996? Oh, you didn't have a phone in 1996. You know, so, I mean, you know, what you're seeing is you, you've got to see how people are evolving. You've got to do a better job of having context and, you know, continue to talk point positive, talk about what you're doing and align yourself with the same people. And frankly, here's the thing around what we're talking about is that if, if we give ourselves a grade and assign ourselves a score based on how we're doing on helping moms and dads and kids and, and solving some of these big population health problems, we get an F, maybe we get a D minus, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, what, what the hell are we even talking about? Because we're not, you know, kids are ACL injury rates through the roof, kids suicide up 18 to 22, up 50%. Um, kids ACL injury rates up 400% over the last 10 years under 14. I mean, how, how are we doing a low back pain, non-specific low back pain? Like what you're going to see is that, man, we're failing, right? You know, you're, we are not, we haven't wrapped our head around childhood obesity. We work with an incredible organization called Teen Lift that uh, supports kids who now fall into this super morbidly obese population, health cohort, super morbidly obese. I mean, what we're seeing is that the environment has 180 underneath a human being and that we're suddenly not, we're exposed to all this blue light. We, we don't sleep. We're, we're not moving as much as we did because we're not cued to, it's not anyone's fault. And then we're bombarded by sugar and shit. And then all of that aggregates into this horrific maelstrom where we're seeing the de-evolution of the human. And what we're seeing is that what looks like these individual kind of pop-up outliers of back pain, of shoulder pain, of, of dysfunction, of Achilles tendinopathies, of, right, of all this mess, you know, metabolic disease, is that we're not doing a good job as providers and coaches. We're not reaching enough people. We're not talking to enough people. So look, even if your, your jam is you go to church, you go to Soul Cycle, and you lift heavy weights, right, that's your jam, perfect. I'll be on my side. You be on your side, and I'll meet you in the middle. Right. I'm not going to I'm like, dude, you have a pretty like you're in community. You're a, you're breathing hard. You're lifting some weights. Dude, you're going to be 110. I'll, I'll meet. I'll see you in the middle. But in the meantime, grab as many friends and I'll meet you there. And we need more providers, you know, not bickering about, you know, you know, tools. We need to understand that it's not working. Like fundamentally, it's not working. And that's where I go insane is that literally I'm like, good, thank you for you know, being a Cairo, running your gym, and maybe you treat differently, have a different philosophy, but I need you to work faster and with more people because we're letting too many people slip through the cracks, right? We're not tapping our potential. And if that is where we need to go, then we need to have much bigger conversations and, and agree that like, look, you know, hard style karate is not better than hard style Kung Fu is not better than like, quit that. Right. Like mm-hmm. find something that you love, but by the way, make all the change in your community. You know, we have a, we have a co uh, one of our staff members, you know, recently was just showing me that his uncle has lost 84 pounds, you know, and he's from a community where, and a family where people are challenged with weight and his uncle has lost 84 pounds. And, and that's because he made change in his family first. So if we're in, in the world that we find ourselves, which is, more and more divisive and it's easy to grab eyeballs and thirst traps on the internet and talk shit. You know, we, we have to say, look, if you're going to unwrap that, 
be a communitarian first, like communitarianism matters. So change your neighborhood. You know, we have about 10 people who come to our house and work out in the morning before the day starts. And those are just our neighbors. They use our home. We call it the star at home health center. Right. And we give them coaching and provide support. And like, that's how we're going to initiate these conversations and make real change at a community neighbor level. You know, we started this thing called squat club, you know, a couple of years ago where uh, something Matt Vincent said, the uh, Highland Games strength athlete, mm, world champion. and he said, he said, um, you know, someone asked him, well, how do you get strong? He's like, just squat heavy once a week for 10 years. Let me know what happens. You know, and I was like, well, what happens if you're 12 years old and you start squatting heavy once a week, you know? And <laughs> so that was my experiment. And I literally started grabbing kids in the neighborhood and squatting. I mean, both of my daughters are doing squat tober right now. And, you know, some of this is, hey, we just need to begin to have conversations. You know, my wife, I'm just rambling now, but my wife um, just took on, you know, our middle school, which is selling soda pop and Gatorade and Izzy's and, you know, just crap and break. And, uh, you know, and we just got an email, you know, and we are like pulling our hair out. Like, why are you? They're like, but it's not my like sponsor, you know? And we're like, Oh, you know, so you have to become the change in your community. You have to work at that level. Mm-hmm. And, and there are enough people where we can make real change. But if we're, if we're bickering on the internet, I mean, Oh my gosh, we have better things to do and that's not working. That's well, not moving the ball forward. Well, and there's, there's a few things to that. Right. And I think that one of the things that you were saying there is you can be great and so can somebody else. Yeah. And both of you can do what you do, which is totally different <laughs> than what someone else does and help the same person with the same problem. And that's right. And, and there are a lot of roads lead to Rome the same way. You know, and, you know, we're in this really interesting time where the sciences can be confusing and we're, we're, you know, movement practice. Ultimately, you know, we need to go back into our ancestral movement practice traditions and understand what was working. We also need to almost take an epidemiological position of these things, right? We have to take this 30,000 foot view and look at much larger data sets and be much more comfortable that end of 10 kids in college who are left-handed throwers. And it's very confusing. And, you know, there's something about the way Connor trains that makes him a very good fighter. Right. And, and Khabib is the same, right? Like there's some like different, different tactics, different, but like what we need to go in is try to understand what the roots are of those things. And still we can arrive at, Hey, there are lots of ways to get there, but uh, more conversation and more deep understanding, more context. You know, the magic is you will see that the, the, the guys and girls on the internet who are doing the most shouting are not parts of the conversations. They have excluded themselves from these conversations and aren't at the, aren't at the coaching co-ops, aren't working the Olympics, Olympics aren't, you know, asked their opinions because they're dicks. So (laughs) we have to do a better job and physio and otherwise of really saying, Hey, take a, take a beat, you know, take a breath, continue to make change. You know, Buckminster Fuller, and I've said this before many times, but Buckminster Fuller, the philosopher, you know, had this idea saying, look, if you want to make an, a model obsolete, you can't shout at the model and rail this model. You have to propose a better model that makes the other one obsolete. Sure. So you have to simultaneously, you should create a better mousetrap. And then everyone's like, this other mousetrap is old and stupid. I'll come over here and use this mousetrap. And right now where people are like shouting at the mousetrap instead of building their own mousetrap. So quit that. Also start being more transparent. You know, I think the internet gives us a, a real ability to just show how we're thinking and the transparency 
And, you know, and, and then if you come out of that with humility, man, we're just beginning to understand what's going on. I think my friends and I are, we're just beginning to understand now we're like, Oh, okay. We're really be- We're good beginners now. That's how most of us feel like, Oh my gosh, this is such a complex, sophisticated system that we're, we're now beginning to get the lay of the land. And that's really exciting because we, we can see how much work has to be done. So I want to ask you about your mousetrap because I've been watching your videos since God, I was in chiropractic school, right? Learning on your videos. And I remember early in the days, it was, you would talk about roll on this ball or roll on this roller and then get into this position and maintain this posture to reinforce that you have that range of motion, then go back to it and then go back to the squat and then go back to the ball and then go back to the squat to reinforce the behavior of you gain this range of motion that you're now weak in. You need to reinforce that you can actually maintain posture in that position before you can believe that it's yours. And I think that you did such a good job of that, especially in your early videos, that the message from people who heard it from someone who heard it from someone who heard it has become roll on this ball, use this band to pull your ankle back, and your range of motion is going to improve. It'll cure cancer. Totally. Here's ankle cancer every time. <laughs> right. Ankle cancer. It's a huge problem in America. But <laughs> but the, the, the point I'm making is um, can you succinctly explain to people this is the value of something like a ball. This is the value of something like a band. Because when I do it, because we don't sell balls, we don't sell bands, not because they don't have value because we don't make them, we don't sell them. It comes across sometimes as – you just don't think those things are valuable because you don't sell them and, and you want to make someone else look bad, for example. And I then have the conversation and I'm fortunate to be able to turn some of those people into our biggest fans of no, 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 no. I'm not saying they're not valuable. I'm saying you can't use them by themselves and have your problems go away. Well, he, here's the way to think about it is, you know, we haven't. I've worked hard recently. I'm trying to do a better job of helping people understand that the physiology actually guides us. The geometry of the body, the anthropometry guides us into understanding what is better function and better position. So if you can sit and jump and squat and land with a collapsed arch, but that's not the best use of that structure. And you see a whole host of problems, right? So we can say good, bad. What I say is, Hey, that compensation is the language of a workaround, a solution to incomplete mechanics, which means like it's very clear about what the most stable positions for the shoulder are and how to generate those positions. That's, that's why we coach in a certain language. And, you know, centrating the forces through the joint is the goal, right? Normalizing forces, using the fascial system, the bony system, the muscular system, using these systems in, in, in coordination. But we haven't done a good job of sort of defining mobility, for example. So mobility now have become, it means nothing. And it's a word that has been substituted for stretching or like, like I see people like laying on the ground, sitting on the ground and they're like, I'm doing mobility. I'm like, no, you're just sitting on the ground, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like squat, squatting to take a poop in the woods is not mobility. That's just squatting to take a poop in the woods. Right. So what we're saying is that we define mobility as one is, do I have, the range of motion or the raw straight biomechanics to achieve a good shape, right? A shape that allows me the most access to my available idealized biomechanics. So if we're talking about posture, 
right? And, and posture is shorthand for position of the spine. So if you're in a rounded upper back posture, that may or may not cause pain, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about you may or may not get injured here. I'm saying that if you're rounded through your upper back, you can't put your arms over your head. That's a compromised, compensated position. You may be there for a reason. I don't know why, right? But I can tell you is that's not as effective swimming through the water or blocking a ball at the net or putting something over your head. I don't give a shit if it doesn't cause pain. It's rare, It's strange though, that when I see shoulder pain in people that when I restore their thoracic positioning and relationship between scapula and thoracic spine, the shoulder pain goes away too. But, but the, really that's just, that's just, you know, coincidence. Right. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is I'm like, Hey, look, in that rounded position, you can't take a big breath. Your pelvic floor is compromised. You can't rotate. Your neck is in a crappy position. We see shutdown and force production. So let's argue about what positions give us better access to our own function. Okay. So that's, that's why we have this conversation. So straight up mobilizing is how we improve position around biomechanics. The technique is the other half of that equation, which is called skill, which is why we squat in the first place. And what's confusing for people is that, you know, you get into these really easy alliteration, mobility, stability, Right. I'm like, well, if you can't don't have the raw biomechanics and you're compensated, you can't create stable positions. Right. But also, if you don't know what the good technique is to run, to lift, to bench, to push up, to create the appropriate organized trunk and stiffened appropriate trunk, if you can't breathe on the bike, those are all technique issues, which is shorthand for motor control. So we have these two pieces. I have skill. And I have straight biomechanics. And no matter what, it doesn't matter how much I will it, if I'm missing hip flexion, that is not a neurological issue. How do I know? Because if I lay you down and take your nervous system out of this and passively move your hip and I run into a wall at 80 degrees, that's a hip restriction. And so that suddenly leads us into a conversation of saying, well, is this, a, is this person not squatting because they don't know how to squat? Okay, well, then we can work on their technique right? Which is principle, the way we create stability, the way we organize trunk and pelvis first, the way we don't let the feet collapse, the way we give the hip a chance to work in, in harmony with the pelvis. But if I have a biomechanical restriction, then I suddenly am like, oh, well, what are my tools to fix that restriction and restore position? And so what we end up saying is that, hey, most of the, tech, the, the remediations for poor position are either motor control driven, which is what we call skill transfer exercises. And that's what the genius is about the FMS or any one of the 50 skill transfer exercises that an Olympic lifting coach can show you, right? Or crawling on the ground or the band work or putting on a hip circle. Those are all skill transfer exercises. You know, the other hand of that is that we have straight mobilizations. And those are what I call position transfer exercises, which means that if I have an actual restriction, I'm not going to be able to express good mechanical function. So let me give you an example. We had, I have a woman who uh, is traveling here from Switzerland. She's a brilliant manual therapist and super ninja. And she's like, Kelly, I need help. I have a, I'm having a job problem. I need someone to look at my jaw. I need someone to look at my foot. And she's an advanced practitioner in Switzerland has had, you know, lots and lots of training. She's a ninja. And I was like, great. So it turns out the other day in my training, we were looking at her ability to rotate the shoulders and she has terrible rotational. She can't get in these long lever shapes 
like you put the harm out in front of you. And I said, Hey, press, screw your hands into the ground. She actually can't create rotation at the shoulder. All her rotation is created at the hand at the elbow. And so what you see is that she actually has an unstable neck problem because she can't create any stability at her shoulders. And I said, let me show you this jump on a pair of rings. And I said, turn those rings out to 11 and one, just like in a push-up position with the arms locked out and take 10 breaths. And the eighth breath, elbows bend, hands come in. And what you see is you're defaulting to an unstable position, which is why her neck isn't connected well to her shoulders because the shoulders don't know how to create stability. And guess what? It's not a weakness problem. It's a skill problem. She doesn't know how to feel that, right? For whatever reason, she's hypermobile, kind of slot. And we get her there. She's like, oh. And I said, this is why you're playing press and guess with your jaw. And if we can get her into a more still position, I get her on the rings and I say, hey, show me you can show a turnout, just a support position on the rings like a dip. She can't even do it for a second. And I'm like, well, so how are your, how is your head thoracic system able to create stability if you don't can't create stable positions through the shoulder and what you see is that the body is trying to create stable positions for her mm-hmm. i go downstream i'm like tell me about your ankle so I, what i do is say hey let me check the box is this a, a capsular restriction so i look at her ankle capsule guess what not a capsular restriction there right i check the fibular head is it gliding yes it's gliding so guess what i do i'm like this cannot be a mechanical issue this girl is a floppy kind of a donut mess I said, hey, just walk over there for me. She's walking and her foot turns out and all of her motion, she doesn't have any extension through her pelvis. So if I go back upstream, say this core to extremity relationship, what you see is I have altered mechanics at the hip. And I'm like, hey, notice that you don't extend through your hip. Notice that your arch is collapsed. Can you see all that? She's like, yes. I was like, this is why you're having this problem at your foot and why you can't get ahead of it by pushing on something. I haven't mobilized anything. What I've done is saying, you need to understand what the principles of good mechanics are. And that's what the mobility watt system is. It's a model and an algorithm to help you understand what's happening so you can explain what's happening. And it also helps you predict what's going to happen, right? And it's also repeatable. Those are the only metrics that we care about. Can you explain what the phenomenon is? Can you predict future phenomenon? And is it repeatable? And guess what? I did some soft tissue work at her high lateral quad, TFL. I mobilized her hip capsule using my own hand, but that was the anterior band, band distraction, basic same technique. She suddenly is able to move her hip into extension without wobbling and twisting around it. And guess what? Her foot mechanic cleans up. So what I did was say, hey, I have a problem with a movement. What are my tools to get there? So her homework is Bulgarian split squats, elevated split squats to reinforce this position where she can create mechanics in extension, which she's terrible in extension of the hip, right? She's got to do some stability drills just to connect the dots because, and, and what we see then is it's not always, let's just put a band on it or do floss. That's the problem. It's mechanical or a movement problem. We need to be able to ferret that out. And the coach is... and ever and ever and I'm going to ultrasound her her you know her ankle joint or I'm you know I mean like I'm gonna put my hand in her jaw and 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 soften up that you know that that master I mean just the idea here is that you know 
what are my tools? And they come down to two problems. They either, as I have an athlete who's not moving well, or I have an athlete who has a tissue restriction and can't achieve this movement position, but we have not created movement vital signs for our athletes so that people know if they're in a good position or not. And it's, it's tricky and it's okay. And it's high skill and it's going to be a lot more conversations. And the things we're all obsessed with right now are going faster and bigger weights. Cause that's what the internet tells us. Right? Yeah. And I, th- I think that's what I think that you just touched on right there at the end, especially one of the, the microcosms of the issue that we run into in being health professionals who are trying to communicate skills to coaches and doctors is that, yes, this is the outcome that I was able to get with this woman who came out from Switzerland to improve her her jaw. We ended up finding stuff in her hip, finding stuff in her shoulders that related back to her jaw and to her gait. But this was one of the things that we did. It doesn't mean you can do that to everybody who comes in with a problem that looks like this. That's right. And 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 but, and simultaneously though, it's crucial to understand is that it's okay to also have recipes because mm-hmm. you know, if we establish benchmarks of range of motion and that's why we have these range of motion do i still have you yeah sorry your, your, your video froze so we have these range of motion benchmarks that at least i can begin to simplify the system so i, I have pretty good eyes like i i didn't know what to expect i have this advanced practitioner who has pretty good body awareness and what i did was i just used the algorithm right i just i just ran her through the system that i run everyone through whether i'm working with west kits trying to snatch a, you know, an American record, whether I'm working with the, uh, you know, uh, you know, the all blacks with, it doesn't matter what team I'm in. The, the shoulder is the shoulder, the hip is the hip. You know, I, I had an athlete who came in recently, this former pro cyclist, hadn't been able to cycle for six months, has been through nine physicians, literally nine physicians, seen all the experts. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I can help you, but I'm glad to take a look at it. You know, and secretly inside, I'm like, excellent. Like, you know, this, this, is a, this is going to be a real problem. You know, maybe, he, you know, he's had an MRI, his x-rays are all clear. No one knows. When I put him on his stomach and bend his leg up, his leg jams, jams, runs into a wall before it hits 90 degrees. So you're talking, hip, think, you're talking hip extension, Kelly? No, I'm talking about lower leg flexion. Like okay, you so laid knee, on your stomach knee. and someone just moved your heel to your butt Got while it. you were laying on your stomach. His heel stopped before his leg shank was straight up and down. Wow. Guess what? He's what we, we in, our, in our documentation language or communication, we would d- describe that as stiffness as our focus. But that's really stiff AF, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I get what and you what's, mean. And <laughs> what the issue here is that guy was just stiff. And the problem was he's stiff through his quadriceps and that fascia was tacked down and the rectus femoris was a hot mess right? The, the, his super patellar pouch was stiff. So all I did was employ some techniques to restore his position. That's it, right? Restore what should be normally there, which we have identified. And that's why we teach our level two course of saying, here are the benchmarks of position so that you can at least begin to cross things off the list. I was like, how many doctors told you you had a stiffness problem? He's like, none. How many people checked your quad to see if it had full length? And he's like, none. And I was like, so what are we talking about? And I think, you know, he had a thousand dollar MRI, but no one looked to see if that his leg just was stiff or not stiff. And well, the, that's the problem. The thousand dollar MRI is like the, the $500 x-ray. They take a picture of a road at four in the morning and say nobody drives on it. 
That's right. That's, that's exactly right. And those tools, you know, I was really grateful. I'm like, Hey, look, we've already ruled out all, like, you don't have Mm -hmm. any cancer. You don't have a cyst in your knee. There's no, there's no defect, right? Like your patel is looking, what's going on? Like, so what's nice is look, my, the way I was trained as an Australian manual therapist is um, we, and people don't like this term, but whatever. We, we check systems. We say which system is contributing. So the word that that used to use is clearing the systems. And people, that, that's like a trigger word for some of the therapists out there. So what we do is we use a checklist. Do I think this is a capsule or restriction? Yes or no. This is a systems approach. Do I think this is a real fascial restriction? I don't know. Let's, let's improve the fascia. Let's check. Is this a neuromuscular problem? Right? This is a muscle dynamics problem. Right? And that neuromuscular system is a neuromuscular system. Right, but if I if I'm just doing end range isometrics, I may not be address ever addressing fascia, and I'm sure as hell not going to be addressing the capsule. And then I've got to take the whole thing, stand up, and say, actually show me how the whole thing moves together. Right? Like I have an athlete who has she's a, a local coach. We run a coach's lab here on Wednesdays. She's a local coach. She was a vegan. She was a sloppy mess. Herniated some discs in her back. Then got religion. And if I laid her down on her sideline and did a little sideline shear test, which is a test where we confirm as practitioners when someone has some segmental instability. So I'm looking at how the vertebra are relating to one another. And we have some tests that allow us to feel how lax they are. She feels like a lax, sloppy mess. Like she's just a loosey-goosey person. Yet, when I stand her up, because she's so excellent in her technique you don't see any movement in her spine when we squat why because it's squattober and in our coach's lab we overhead squatted we fronted squatted we you know we back squatted we sheared we did low head low like narrow squat stance we did wide squat, and we changed what we were doing is playing with foot pressure and trying to nominalize that and at the same time see what happened to torso inclination and knee demand when i just changed the load position that was our drill that was what we were doing in our lab but this girl has no wobbliness and no silliness in her spine. But if I assessed her, she would be super sloppy and I would be like, oh, you're hypermobile. I don't know what to do. But remember, it's always about the expression. So once I move through these systems, then I have to also make sure that someone's not making a good old fashioned movement error. And what we haven't done is said that this is a better biomechanical position than these other ones. You know, like, look, yes, you can walk with your feet turned out like ducks for a while, but as soon as you take a step and you add that speed component, you add that load component, you have to cut, you have to do another movement, you see that that walking with your foot out like a duck is a less effective position. And that's how we're, we describe this now. We're really working and saying, hey, look, is that the position that you're choosing to be in or is that the only position you can be in? Because you're, if you're only position you can be in, man, we can see if we can improve your mechanics through some mobilizations. If it's a choice, are you choosing it for a certain reason because you didn't know, or are you realizing that you're giving away power and force upstream? And what we need to make sure is that as coaches, that we are not contributing to dysfunctional mechanics later on, because as soon as I add load and speed with those feet turned out like ducks, man, hips don't work very well. 
Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Active Life Podcast. Just a quick second to remind you here that we have so many resources available for you guys at activeliferx.com slash quick dash links. I'll make sure that's in the show notes, but we have workshops. We have online coaching programs that are remote learning. You can do it from anywhere in the world. We have more podcasts just like this one. We have our YouTube channel. We have programs that are templated up online. We are looking to change change the world and we need your help doing it. If you want to get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym, we want to help you. Head to activeliferx.com slash quick dash links. I will put that in the show notes to check out all of the things that we have to offer. That's it. I'll get you right back to the show right now. I think something Something I took from that, what you just said, is the idea that if my feet are in the wrong position, the question isn't just put my feet back in the right position. It's why are they in the wrong position in the first place? And, That's right. And one of the, one of the things that I, um, I try to impart on people we work with is that your warm up is meant to be not only loosening your body, but also building skill on the way to doing something at higher intensity. Amen. So, so would, would you, I think it would be cool for you if we're talking about squatting, can you just give my audience, what would a standard warm up be for somebody who has generally good range of motion everywhere their mechanics are in line what is a general warm-up for somebody like that oh for someone like that man you just need to get hot and sweaty and and feel athletic bring your temperatures up get your legs filled with blood you know just touch some end range isometric position like it doesn't take long to get hot the problem is you know i shouldn't be using my warm-ups as remediation i should be using my warm-ups are warm up they're to get hot, to wake my nervous system up, to get, like get fired up, to practice. You know, like if you come in and you're already sweaty, I have tissues that are ready to go and you can hit all your shapes. We're under the bar very fast. And we're going to spend a lot of time. We might even do some skill transfer exercise drills just to dial in foot pressure, be aware or, or you know, think, you know, but for example, you know, on Tuesdays is my deadlift day. Just it's a day where I like to pull heavy I teach at 9.30 in the morning, teach a general fitness class, skilled conditioning class at the gym. And I do all of the warm-ups with my athletes. End range grinding, hip openers, right? Just get prepped. Then when it's time to go deadlift, I don't do a bunch of deadlift prep stuff. I'm prepped. I've been spending hours getting ready for the deadlift. So what do I need to do now? Just go deadlift. Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I'm not using that first first pull at 95 pounds to be like well i never pulled 95 pounds i always start 135 there's no such thing <laughs> 135 225 for 15 405 yeah. and um but the idea is you know what i should be doing in my warm-ups is just warming up but what we're having to do now is spend a lot more time teaching skill so that people have a reference position a reference base we're having to reclaim function and I shouldn't have to reclaim function. I shouldn't be doing that, but that's now the, the role of the warm-up. Well, so, so if someone comes in is highly skilled and then it's just sometimes, Hey man, I'm really stiff from yesterday. Well, good. Let's, let's, let's play and warm and get hot. So I'm curious about your opinion on this. Cause I believe you're right. And I believe that the role of the warm-up is that because coaches don't have the balls and athletes don't have the awareness to say, you know what? I need to spend an hour working on my skills and my positions that doesn't leave me on my back flat and exhausted. That doesn't load me up at heavy weight because I need to learn how to do this so that I earn the right to go end up on my back and lift heavy weight. Well, you know, first and foremost, you know, 
everyone has an ego. The gym is not the only place. I mean, literally look at our runners, slam the trunk. <laughs> you know, I'm like, how did, what, tell me about, tell me about your run. Oh, I shut the door and then I started running, you know? And I'm like, okay. So a woman in my neighborhood I've known for a long time, really good runner. She ran six, she suddenly's like, Kelly, I need to come see you. Um, I'm having this Achilles, Achilles flare up again. And I don't know what, what caused it, what happened. I was like, so this is my conversation with her. Tell me about what happened. She's like, well, I, right. I'm just like, let's do some, an actor action report. She's like, well, I ran 16 miles since Hilly run. It's like, oh, a 16 mile, like Mount Tamron. Okay. That's legit. And then, uh, and then what happened? And she's like, well, then I got up the next day and I went for an eight mile run. And I said, okay. And what happened? She's like, well, that's when my, my calf hurt. And I was like, okay. So my differential diagnosis is nothing is wrong with you. You have an adaptation problem. I was like, tell me about your warmup for the 60 mile run. She's like, I didn't, I just started running. I was like, tell me about what you do to take care of your tissues after a 16 mile effort at age 45 year old woman, you know? And she's like, I made dinner for my kids. And then what'd you do to warm up? She's like, I put my shoes on. I'm like, what the hell are we talking about? Like, this is, this is your error on tissues, just not being decongested, not warming up, not being primed. I'm like, can you tell me about your hydration, nutrition? Are you under some stress? Oh, you're in the middle of a divorce. Oh, okay. So suddenly like we build this picture. I'm like, look, there's nothing wrong with your running technique or your body. There's you have an error that you cannot run the racehorse hard, put it away wet, and then not wake up the next day and realize it doesn't have pneumonia. And so, you know, what do we do then? It's about desensitizing her, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the real question is, you know, when we're people's bodies are moving targets and all you have to do is jump on an airplane, fly to the East coast and back on a red eye. And we'll just assess all your range of motion. Let, let me know how that goes for you. You're, you're going to suck. Uh-huh. You suck. Right. <laughs> and, um, and that's not your fault. That's the world we live in. So the warm up for me is also my assessment for my athletes to see how they're feeling. What's my baseline today. And, if you get injured, let me be very clear. And, and this, is, this is very un-PC to say because it happens to a lot of people. You're not paying attention if you get injured in the gym because the gym is the safest place I know to be. How do I know? Because I take the most injured people, the most fragile people, and I can actually get them to move safely in the gym during rehab, mm-hmm. right? That I have the ways where I can slow down, I can modulate load. What, what I'm really saying is that look at all the techniques and models we have to challenge position. So position is the goal. Why do we mobilize? Why do we work on skill to improve our position, which is about improving out, outcome and function? Well, how do I challenge position? Well, if I have someone who's coming back from something, where, for example, you know, ACL recovery, we're working on box squats, right? And box squatting might be the technique that we're using to really control shin, have good foot pressure. We get to be tempo, which means we're really moving slowly, right? We're able to not have any wobbles through the back. We're able to move safely so the athlete stops guarding. But we're only doing five body weight air squats to a box. Like it's slow and tempo and controlled. Show me you got control through that shin. Then to challenge that though, because that's easy, we're going to get over here on Mr. Assault Bike and I'm going to make you puke on the assault bike. And then you step off the assault bike and you're in a metabolic haze cave because it's so terrible. And then I'm going to ask you to do five squats for me again. And suddenly those five squats, it's like you're doing them on fire over lava and, you know, and someone's got a gun to your head. It's that stressful, not hard. So what I'm saying is that I have cardiorespiratory demand, metabolic demand, load, speed, right? Competition. I have all of these ways of challenging your position. 
But what we're not recognizing is that all of those ways are valid, but when do I limit my position? When do I realize that I have challenged my position? For most of us, as long as the weight went up, it was a good PR, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and I understand because we are ego-driven people and it's easy to, to, to remedy that. Well, Wherever so- I go around the world, I, I teach foot pressure. I'm like, can you see your foot? This is your reference foot position. And now I'm like, okay, let's do burpees. And then people jump up and they land with shitty, crazy feet. And I'm like, hey, what were we just talking about? And people were like, oh, yeah, the foot. And I was like, and what did you do? You tried to beat her. And what did you do? You just sacrificed your technique. And the biggest thing that we're seeing right now, my biggest bugaboo is that people are moving better and better and squatting and deadlifting and cleaning. We are getting becoming much more sophisticated. But when it comes to conditioning, all of that technique goes out the door. And people are literally just moving like maniacs, like pieces of meat attached to wires. And what we need to understand is that positions hold true. Even if they're unloaded and at speed, shapes are shapes. And what, we, what we're seeing is that in that situation where I ask teach someone and then challenge them with a skill, right, the error is not theirs. The error is mine. I haven't connected the dots with my athletes. And I haven't told my athletes, this is what I'm valuing, that when you break position, I need you to stop and reset. And if you can't feel that, if you can't develop that interoception to understand when you've lost effectiveness, because this is training. This isn't competition. In competition, it's about testing your fitness and your skills and your positions so that we can then come back and do the after-action report and say, well, how did that work? Where do we need to put our time in, right? And what, what's happening now is as long as I'm, my heart rate is 200 and you know, I added weight to the load, we think we're okay. And, and, and what's really fun about our, our way of thinking is that this is a skill, and this skill can be developed for the rest of your life. And that positional competency, I just turned 45. I would whoop up on any one of myself in the last 44 years. Mm-hmm. I would crush that, that pretender. Why? Because I'm more skilled <laughs> today than I was back then. And I, and, and I can hear and feel when I lose shape and position. Sure. So, so I mean, that, that, that's something for coaches who are listening to this and athletes who are listening to this to think about is the idea that uh, is it the best thing for you to do to go as hard as possible with weight in positions that you don't own and can't repeat under duress? Well, I, I don't. I don't think anyone would say that. I would say, you know, we're going to get some work done. And and what's well, interesting is that even even if my athletes have incomplete position, mm-hmm. right, can't squat hip crease below the knee, whatever. Like that is a hip crease below the knee is a target that has said, hey, this is full function. If you can squat hip crease below the knee, front squatting, then we think that like you you can check the box for a vital sign. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a problem loading people into positions where they still own. Agreed. So what I don't, what I don't do is allow them to compensate and start to bend the mast and move the Jenga blocks and collapse the arch and twist out and origami themselves into some arbitrary standard that their mechanics don't support. So no problem. Dude, if, if you're squatting hip crease above the knee right now, we're going to load that up, but I'm also not going to leave you there. I'm also right. going to say, Hey, we have an incomplete position, which means you don't have access to your full capacity. Agreed. And I think that that's something that that's, that's, you said it better than I could, but I think that's something that coaches need to hear. You know, it's okay for someone to go fast and hard in positions that they own. If they start going fast and hard into positions that they don't own, you're risking getting them hurt. Yeah. And that's, and well, how about this may or may not being hurt, but what you're doing is you're actually causing a, a reinforcing habit and that habit 
is a less effective position that someone will default to when they're stressed, when they're tired, when they're fatigued, because it's the most practiced position. And sometimes those compensated practice positions have dire consequences. So if you're jumping and landing with your feet out, or you're jumping up on the box and your knees come in and your arch collapses, you didn't, your face didn't explode, you didn't die, nothing happened. We have, there's a lot of safety built into the system. You're not fragile. But if you jump down off a high cliff like that or you're fatiguing at the end of a soccer game or you're a girl three days before your, your, your cycle starts and you jump and land in that position, that seemingly trivial event that you've done a thousand times suddenly becomes the position that you can't control and that's your ACL, that's your Achilles tear, that's your blown quad tendon, mm-hmm. that's your torn labrum, that's the, I mean, check the boxes that matter to you and what, and, or it's the reason you got beat because you got out sprinted or mm-hmm. out right? At the end of the day, you, you know, you, you fell and dislocated something. So, you know, the idea here is that practice, what are we doing? This is about practice and training doesn't mean we have to be perfect. In fact, if you're perfect, you're not challenging yourself either metabolically or cardiovascular. But I put my positions in my athletes in positions where they can fail safely. And more importantly, if they fail once or they start to make an error, if they can't self-correct, then I step in. But I need my athletes to be able to identify when they've lost position. Otherwise, they'll continue to do whatever they need to do to win, to put the load up, to accomplish the task because we are human beings and we are awesome at that. You know, hey, I'm not going to give you water, but you got to walk across 30 miles of desert. Otherwise, your kids are going to be dead. Dude, you're, it doesn't matter. Like, you're going to get out. there, right? Mm-hmm. And that I think that's the problem is that we have confused this incredible, robust system. We're not fragile. Discs are designed to be 100 years old. So what the hell is going on? Why are we seeing what we're seeing? And I think that, you know, this last year I did a lot of talks about saying, are we – part of the problem as coaches and then the physios you know and the cows are standing on the outside being like that's dangerous or that's dumb or you know like dude you need to come in here and actually get people prepared to go to war or get people prepared to go to the olympics or get people prepared to play the next football game mm-hmm. what you're seeing is that we're going to have to have these much earlier interventions and that really is where we need to be putting skill back in you know Physical education is as important as, as any other, other, other skill. Dude, I've been working on my local physical education department here. I have a three-year-old, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I have a, another one on the way, all girls. And I'm, my kid is three years out of being in elementary school, and I'm already all over the department of physical education because they don't have enough of it. They're not going outside. And I'm like, you're going to hear me for three more years before my kid even gets here. You that's might, right. Like, that's right. I'm and not going anywhere. And, and now you are really talking about what matters. And this is, I'm going to work at my community and mm-hmm. I'm going to help solve the problems I can have by volunteering at my school. Yep. Right? That's what we're talking about. And yep. that's how we make massive, massive change. Agreed. And, you know, I was just, um, my daughter and I, are, my 13-year-old and I are reading Dune together because that's what you do with your 13-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. You read Dune. But um, <laughs> Liet, uh Kynes or Liat Keynes in there has a he's he's hallucinating the desert and he's hearing his father say to him, being an ecologist is about understanding consequences. And I stopped with Georgia and I was like, Georgia, that's what being a coach is. Being a coach and being a teacher is about understanding consequences. Like that's really what the mastery is, the consequence of loss of position, the consequence of really toxic environment, the consequence of 
you know, and so sometimes it looks like you're, you know, you're making pr- these predictions, you know, based on, you know, poor information, but the patterns are that, Hey, you can't be a stress case. You have to sleep. You got to eat whole foods. You know, this next, we're working on our next ev- um, season of our little podcast project. And one of those where we just interviewed Stacy Sims yesterday and Stacy Sims uh, wrote a brilliant book, Dr. Stacy Sims wrote a brilliant book a year ago, a year and a half ago called Roar, R-O-A-R. And it's about sex differences between men and women in sports and nutrition. And, and she is really the premier expert in looking at physiologic differences between men and women. What we've done forever is said that women are just smaller men and it's not the case. And we're seeing it's not the case for pharma, for, pharma, you know, for, for medicine prescriptions, for movement. Most of the sports science in the world is all irrelevant around men, around women because it was all done on men. When, when women are studied, they're actually, their data is often thrown out because they can't, they can't account for variability in the hormone cycle and it throws a lot of things off. And Stacy has become an expert in this. And one of the things that she saw recently, because now she's looking at gut biome and what she calls energy availability. And one of the old symptoms that we used to see for kids now are training very hard is something we used to call the female triad, which was mm-hmm. we, saw bone, we saw stress fractures, loss of period, and you know, loss, like being lean or under a low energy, right? This sort of, and it was really about sort of a fueling issue, which really starts to throw the, the um, thyroid out of whack, throws the gut behind. It's a big problem for athletes. But it turns out they just did a big study and they found that like 80% of the people who were engaged of the women they looked who were just recreational athletes were also in this energy deficiency syndrome state. And so we call it ready, ready energy deficiency, uh, uh, deficiency uh, relative energy deficiencies, REDS is the, the technical term for our athletic population. But what we're seeing is that people are making these errors in their environment all the time and that we know that we're going to have to talk about sleep and we know we're going to have to talk about fueling. And we can't, the, the real question for me is who is going to have this conversation? And for me, it's the coach because I have the most interaction with the mm-hmm. person around the processes of their physiology, their movement, their health, their sleep, their stress, and their lifestyle, nutrition. It's us. It's not the provider. I'm sorry, physical therapists and, and chiros and physicians. I only see you once in a while. You know, I don't, I don't have a doctor that I've checked base with. You know, I have a physician. I get a blood panel, but once a quarter and we run through the blood panel and then that's it. I just don't get sick. I don't go to the doctor. And that mm-hmm. doctor certainly is lecturing me about talking about my sleep or my stress or my relationships. And it's the coach, you know, and that means that we're going to have to get much better at supporting coaches with this kind of information because they are the future. And that means also, you know, again, they're the person who can talk about these positional issues and what may be sensitizing, right? So we're all, everyone's like, Oh, pain is all in the brain. It's all in the brain. It's all in the brain. I'm like, well, you have shit mechanics and you're stressed and you eat like shit and you don't <laughs> sleep. And I'm like, what do you think your body was going to tell you? Like, this shouldn't be, this shouldn't be surprised to us. And, I, and it seems like a big package to unwind, but it's not. It's a lot easier. And all we have to do is begin somewhere. Well, so, so let's begin with something. So I want to ask you one more question, and then I, I want to hear about your app also, because I know that you guys just took some stuff on. You know, It's still online, but you took it to a much easier delivery system, and I want you to be able to tell people about that. Um, you famously coined, and I'm going to bastardize it because I don't remember exactly what the phrase was, but just like we brush our teeth and we maintain our tooth health, we should all be able to maintain our bodies as well, right? It's 
I mean, yeah. You, well, and I, I think, I think, you know, in a very disruptive way, a long time ago, we said, look, every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance. Perfect. That's exactly what you said. Thank you. So <laughs> when something hurts, it doesn't mean you're injured. Right. You know, it means something hurts, you know, like this girl went for a run. She's not injured. She mm-hmm. can still run. Is her, her calf hurts. What's so, interesting about so, this so, so is that. What, what I'm most curious about Kelly, and, and I want you, I want to let you get to whatever you're going to say too, is. I want – where do people decide that this is basic maintenance versus this is outside – I need someone to help me with this? Yeah, and that's such a good question. And I think the answer to that is straight up if, you know, anytime you feel like you can get help and have resources, you know, this is why we have five physical therapists at our gym who also coach day-to-day. And the number of one-off conversations we have about helping people manage little nicks and and bumps and bruises and, hey, I fell or this thing hurt after this, right? We have – so we're on these things very early. We assume that the resting state of the human being is pain-free. So recently I just went and coached a a high school volleyball team, right? So I have 18, like seven – you know, 18, 17, 18-year-old girls. I'm like, how many of you guys are pain-free? And not a single girl raises her hand. I'm like, oh, what hurts? And they're like, ah, calf, ankle, foot, knee, back, shoulder, neck. I'm like, so what do you do about it? They're like, I don't know. Isn't that just what it's supposed to feel like? (laughs) And so these girls all are in pain all the time. And when you extrapolate this, because I've done this many, many times with lots of kids. Well, you know, um, one of my favorite uh, Instagram is the follow is quads like Rob. If you don't follow quads like Rob, he's just he's, he's such a gorgeous squatter. He's an incredible mover. Quads like Rob. But um, he just put something up and said, welcome to adulthood. I hope you like ibuprofen. That was his, uh, like, the little meme to it, right? <laughs> and the real question is, you know, when do people know? So if you – I want people to develop a relationship with a physio that they can text. So if you're my patient, you can text me anytime. And, and it's a quick text. Hey, got any ideas about this? Or, Hey, this really hurts, you know, or, Hey, I need to see you. So we can triage up and down. Oh, go immediately go run and get your doctor. You know, we have a, we have an athlete in the gym, you know, just start developing, losing weight, developing night sweats. We're like, not need to mobilize. You need to get the fuck out of here and go talk to the doctor. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so what we're saying is, um, you know, most people, if you ask the people in your gym, are you pain free? They'll say, no, no, it, it feels better when I warm up or I move. So, that's not stopping us. So already we've got this idea like, Hey, you know, pain is not pain is a part of the condition. So I need to be able to have a set of tools that maybe can desensitize that. And maybe I can restore my position and maybe I can improve the neighborhood. You know, maybe I was just congested and for whatever reason, the stress in my tissues and I had, I went drinking in Vegas. Now I'm inflamed and then my, my shoulder hurts. Right. What are the tools available to me? Well, it turns out Gua I can use Mark, Pro, I can cup, I can voodoo floss, right? I can, like, there are all these things that we can do to just decongest, to make the tissues desensitized and, and hurtless, right? And then sometimes people are like, oh, it's fine again. I was like, well, you just became sensitized. There's nothing wrong with the tissues, right? We oftentimes, people who are injured, we get them out of pain while their tissues injure, they're healing. They're like, I feel great. I'm like, you're injured. You're just not in pain. So don't confuse that, right? Like we're still going to have to deal with this tissue time. Like you sprained your ankle. It take, it's a bad sprain. I know your ankle doesn't hurt, but it's going to take six weeks before the ankle rocks. So first of all, is we start with the assumption that, look, if you cannot do your job, if you cannot perform your sport, cannot occupy your role in society, or your bone is sticking out and you have clear trauma, go get some help, right? Don't qu- quit faking that. 
But if your knee hurts after a run or your back is a little sore after deadlifting, dude, you're not injured. But that is a really important cue into understanding something about your environment, your movement prep, your movement quality, your tissue stiffness. And we can begin to just improve one aspect of those things. And any one of those things may be the, the limiter. But again, because I'm an Australian trained manual therapist, what we do is we start ticking things off. One of my favorite books on the planet is a book called The Checklist Manifesto, which is about, hey, make sure that you have a process and that you don't miss crucial systems. And if you're talking to someone about pain, it's okay to say, dude, are you extra stressed? No, I'm not stressed at all. Did you warm up and cool down? Yes. How's your nutrition? On point. Well, tell me about, you know, oh, it turns out you, your knee was stiff. Like that's the problem, right? So, it, you know, what we want to do is demystify and clean up as much as we can clean up and improve as much as we can improve. It turns out the human being is incredibly robust. So you should be able to, if, if your knee hurts, you know, like here's a good example. Get up the street for me knee starts hurting in the patellar ligament region. So between the ischial tuberosity where the quads insert on the shin, right? That big bump where kids get Osgood slaughters and his kneecap. And he's, a, he's growing like a weed right now. He's in the eighth grade. He's one of my daughter's friends up the street, two houses, plays massive amounts of basketball. His knee starts to hurt. I'm like, well, Kyle, what, what do you do for that? And he's like, nothing. Wear flip-flops. And I was like, and you know, and his mom's like, I told you, Kyle, you had to smash your quads. And do you, I'm like, do you count stretch? He's like, no, I hate that. And so we, we get him, we decongest his quads, right, with the Mark Pro. We, we do a little compression to remove some sweat. His knees, he's back playing basketball. He goes, in, but you know, he, this thing had been going on. I was like, well, go get, go get an x ray, man. X rays are cheap. This is why, I have, why you have, uh, you know, medical concerns. And guess what the x-ray says? Nothing. Guess what the diagnosis is? Osgood slaughters. And guess what the, the prescription is? Go see a physical therapist and work on ice, heat, stem, core strengthening, strength, neuromuscular control, neuromuscular re-education. I was like, you mean fix everything? Right. Meanwhile, not a <laughs> single thing was given to this kid to help him manage his pain or his symptoms or help manage his home. And yet the mom was like, I told you, Kyle, you know, like this is what our family does. And I think that's where we can really get ahead of some of these little simple musculoskeletal problems that are just simple musculoskeletal problems. Mm -hmm. You know, there, this is, look, if it smells like something sketchy, go get, go get, see a doctor. Doctors are experts in pathology and they're experts in catastrophe and the rest of it belongs to us. Oh, that's good. I like that. Doctors are experts in pathology and catastrophe and the rest of it belongs to us. I like that's that. That's right. That's good. And that, and, 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 and doctors will back me up on that. Sure. You know, I'm like, I'm like, well, how long did your doctor, did you talk to How long did you give your doctor to give you a coaching solution? She's like, oh, we were with her for like 10 minutes. I was like, so in 10 minutes, she was going to get to know your kid, watch him squat, give him some diagnostics, help teach him. I was like, Psh. You know, what'd your doctor do? She, I'm like, she's like, oh, she ruled out pathology. I'm like, great. Right. So we know it's not knee cancer. We know we don't have a, a you know, an apophysitis problem, you know, an epiphysis problem. Like, I was like, that great. We ruled out all the scary stuff. Now let's do the thing that we were supposed to do in the first place. Yeah, that's cool. So how is your, I mean, how is your app helping people do that on their own? Well, you know, my doctor work was looking at barriers to adherence. And one of the things that we have found in our clinical experience is, you know, I don't want people mobilizing before they work out. Right. You don't by that, by that, I mean, Hey, if you can't put your arms over your head and we're going overhead today, what, what are we doing? 
You know what I mean? Like I'm teaching you compensation. So we might throw in a joint mobilization and a lot of skill transfer exercises early on to get people into better shapes. So we might throw a single mobilization, definitely targeted around joint. Now, all er, soft tissue er, work. Early on, you mean early in their evolution as an athlete. You don't mean early no, in the day. No, no, like right in the beginning of the session. Like we oh, might session. do one, okay. one hip opener with a band just because our athletes can't get into that position. And we're trying to use this time to teach them some of these techniques. Okay. Right. Cause what I, even what I just said to my big class this morning, I was like, Hey, how many of you are ready for my class right now? Did you already open up your hips and do everything you need to do to get hot and sweaty? Cause this class should be starting at nine 30 at nine 30. I shouldn't be warming you up nine 30. I should be doing my skill drills. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I have my more advanced athletes, you know, I use the, the opening, the, the first 10 or 15 minutes is about warm up and skill development and teaching. And for my more advanced athletes, man, if the session starts at two, you better be fucking ready to go at two o'clock and that don't do not waste my time at two o'clock being ready. That's why this, you should be there at one getting hot and sweaty, hips open, totally prepped, doing the things you need to do because session starts at two, right? Mm-hmm. That's a different idea. But, um, you know, w- what we like to do then is say, Hey, look, when are we going to do this stuff? Because people, we recognize that people are really holding down complex lives with lots of demands, kids, work, relationships. You, you should have fun in there at some point. You should, right, you should have a hobby. And um, one of the things that we, uh, we do recognize is that we can do a lot of soft tissue work before we went to bed. And so what you'll see is that on our app, for example, we have two tracks. We have a, and we only have 20, 20 options in each track. One track is a position perform track where we give you one or two ideas. It usually takes six to eight minutes that you can drop in to your pre-workout warm-up. So we recognize that, hey, here's a positional idea. Here's a way to get prepped. Here, we, we can educate the coach, give the coaches some ideas around better positions, help athletes understand, hey, I can try this. and Oh, that worked better. They'll remember it. So we teach in that six to eight-minute session. But every day we, we program a down-regulation soft tissue mobility video. It's a fresh one every single day where it gives our athletes, we program and all you do is some follow-along down-regulation. So in the last 10 minutes before you go to the bedroom, we realize that you that's the time in the evening to be able to do all your soft tissue work. Alex, leave that close, please. And so that means that we can do what? We can do our roller. So the prepare, perform, need gym equipment. You're going to need all the bands, all that stuff. But the recovery is all about if you have a roller and a ball, you can do it all. And so that gives us a chance to, to help people do down regulation, work on soft tissue. And then what we find is that our athletes engage in that behavior for 10 or 12 minutes. They sleep better. Helps them to, to turn off. It helps them. And, and we found that we had much better adherence when our athletes did it at night, their soft tissue work instead of during the day or trying to cram it into the gym or not do it at all. And so what we've done with the app is try to make it simpler for coaches to say, do this. Now no one has to program because we're going to keep an eye on these things. And then you can, with only 20 choices, that's enough, a limited scale enough where you can make decisions about what you want to work on, or you can just follow along sequentially. So we're going to systematically work from toe to head back to toe, right? And what we found is that if, if it's on the app, it's easier to access. You don't have to go find it. Again, removing those barriers to be able to pull it up really quickly. And, and people have been loving it because it's so simple. Yeah. It's our daily. We've been doing these programming kinds of programming for a long time. But this really gives people a chance to be able to 
for us to solve this problem for them. I don't know what to do. Play along. For example, the All Blacks, I'll do it. Like we have the entire New Zealand All Blacks are on the mobility wad down regulation, right? Because the coach, they're so sophisticated. The coach is like, hey, do this. Choose one before you go to bed tonight. You know, mm-hmm. choose your own venture. And that's what we need to do. So they practice their haka, then they do their mobility one, then they go to bed. You got to go haka first. Right. Because yeah. if, you if you do the haka before you go to bed, you're not going to go to yeah. sleep. Kelly, I, man, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Like, like I said Super. earlier, you, you are definitely – you. I, one of my favorite expressions is the first guy through the brick wall always gets bloody. And, and, you know, it's, it's for people like myself and people who are trying to do similar things to what I do and what you've done. If they don't recognize, they might agree with every word you say, every other word you say, or none of the words you say, but they don't have to run into a firmly built brick wall anymore because you've run through it for us. So I appreciate well, and, that. And those cracks, if I ran through that brick wall, it's because those cracks are already there because, you know, you know, we're clever enough you know, the, the generation of athletes behind me are doing a better job even of integrating this material into their own work. You know, one of the things that sometimes people are like, you know, people are like, well, show me how you train, you know? And I'm like, I try to be agnostic on purpose. I have, I do a lot of coaching and training, but I try to be agnostic about the way you train so that you can use our stuff and drop it into yoga. You can drop it into Pilates. You can drop mm-hmm. it into kettlebells. You drop it. it doesn't matter what system you come from. And what I love to do is I go places and I get to see how people are integrating our thinking. And I'm always like blown away. I'm like, that's so clever, you know, because people are smart enough to solve their own problems if you give them their tools. Yep. All right. Well, Kelly, man, I'm going to respect your time. And where can people find you? We just at Mobility Wad. WOD workout of the day, mobility workout of the day. And, uh, you know, come, come join us. We're always in San Francisco, um, San Francisco CrossFit. This month is the start of year 13 to year 14. We've been doing this a long time. This gym is like a teaching hospital. Um, it's like our uh, test kitchen. Mm-hmm. We have, I mean, we always have people lurking around, um, you know, Diane Fu is here. Rup Soda is here. Sean, we have incredible coaches. There's Diane over there. And, uh, what I'm telling you is that, um, Come hang out with us. There's, there's the Diane Fu. Come hang out with us anytime. And um, we'd love to have you drop in and see how we think and, uh, you know, work out with us. All right. Well, when I get my ass to San Francisco, I will bring my ass into that gym. And everyone is welcome. All right. Thank you, Kelly. Pleasure. Have a great day. That's a wrap for another Active Life podcast, guys. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you're going to wherever you listen to podcasts and leaving us a five-star rating and a review. We want to grow this thing. We want to change the world. It's not about movement. It is a movement. Please help us out with that. Remember, until next time, turn pro.